0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Right, well, don't take your seats just yet. Don't take your seats just yet, because I'd like to do two things. First of all, I'd like to say uh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much, Simon Lottie, for the invitation uh, to be here. And I just get a sense, God, you're doing a great job. I just get a real sense that you're doing a great job. And if you agree with that. There's a test, all right. I think we should honor Sim and Lottie for the work that they're doing here, because I believe that the best is yet to come, and they're doing a great job. But also that I think God, I just get this sense that God's going to bring many, many, many more people to this place. And uh, so I want—I just want you to thank them for investing in this area and in this church. So now, now, wait, before you clap. In Icon Church, let's pretend we're Icon Church just for a few seconds. In Icon Church, when one claps everybody claps all right so we make that rule the young people love that because they just clap in random places and then everybody starts <laughs> clapping all right so come on let's honor Sim and Lottie this morning love you and uh, yeah yeah awesome and and one more thing you see see, see me here and I'm going to talk for a few few moments but I've got a helper a helper that's going to make this look amazing, and that is Billy at the back who's doing media. So why don't we give it up for Billy at the back who's going to do media for us this morning. You can take your seat. say hello to a couple of people just as you do that. Oh, good. Well, it's so good to be here. I want to talk uh, this morning just for a few minutes on joining God in the renewal of all things. Joining God in the renewal of all things. I want to read two verses just to get us going from Colossians chapter 1. And I'm just going to read verses 19 and 20. It's talking about Jesus being the image, the icon of the invisible God. And then uh, Paul gets down to verse 19 and he says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus there was never a time when God wasn't like Jesus it's just we didn't always know it and through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself how many things all things to bring all things under Christ whether things on earth things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross I love these verses because they give us a picture of the extent of the redemption, the salvation that Jesus has brought, all things, that there's not one thing that ultimately will not come under the lordship of Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that he must remain in heaven until all things are placed under his feet, and I love that, but but that huge vision, if you like, that huge picture, how does it relate to my life today here on a Saturday morning in Romsey School? Uh, think back to your first job, you know, can can you remember your first job? No, you can't remember your first job. Think back to your first job. My first job was working for British Coal. I was a management trainee and uh, I was a plan maintenance clerk and I was 17 years of age and I loved God and I loved church and I loved my job but I had no idea what the rule of God, the power of God had to do with mining for coal. I had no idea whatsoever. And you might feel like that in your job. You might say, I love my job. I love what I do Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. And I love church. I mean, who wouldn't love Freedom Church, right? Who wouldn't love a church like this? I love that. But they're kind of, what have they got to do with each other? So I knew how to what to do in church. I knew what to do on my job. But I had no idea how to connect. It was like I was missing part of the story. Someone described it as I'd walked into a movie 20 minutes late and I left 20 minutes early and nobody can enjoy a movie if you do that because you have no idea what's going on because you don't get the context of the story. You don't know how it's going to end. So help me out here. So what's the best Christmas movie ever? Come on. Love Actually, Wonderful Life, come on, somebody, come on, somebody get it right, who, no, no, anybody, Uh, oh, I'm going to sit down, come on, I'm going to sit down, Die Hard, did anybody say Die Hard, fantastic, yeah. It's the best Christmas movie ever. It was it was uh, uh, Christmas Eve. It's set on Christmas Eve, and Bruce Willis is this detective, John McClane, who's been living in New York, working in New York, and he's estranged from his wife. He and his wife have been separated, and he's traveling back to LA to see his wife, who works for this huge company, because they he they want he wants to get back together. And the first nine minutes of the movie are in a taxi. And in a, he's in a taxi and he's just talking to the taxi driver and he's setting this story. Now, if you miss that nine minutes of the story, you're going to wonder what's going on. But once you know he's got to get to his wife and he, because he wants to get back together with his wife, he wants to unite them together in, in their marriage, you are hooked in that story because you know exactly what the story is about. Do you know you can be a Christian and have no idea what our story is about? No idea why we're here and what our purpose is. And so when you're watching that movie Die Hard, you're a Christian. And you're halfway in the movie. And he's killed seven out of the 12 terrorists who are trying to take the building down. And you know what you're saying as a Christian? Kill the other five. (laughs) Uh, You're not meant to do that, but you're doing it. Kill the other five. Why? Because the story has got you. The story. You want to see him meet his wife again. You want to see him get back to his wife. And I think as Christians, we've all felt like that. We know the hero of our story is Jesus, and we know that his purpose is to rescue humanity, but we're not quite sure where we fit into the story, and we're not quite sure how the story started. We know we're going to heaven, but we kind of don't really know what that's going to be like or what that is all for. I, I like to put it like this, that sometime we've only understood half the story. We haven't understood the big story. I've got a slide that says the half story and the full story. And for the purposes of this morning, I want to suggest that um, the story has four parts. The story has four parts, creation, fall, redemption, renewal. If we were to talk theologically, we might go to five parts, but we'll keep it at four if that's Okay. And I don't know if, you, if the slide's up, if you can put that slide up of the big story. And then uh, creation, for redemption, renewal. Because we've been good at the middle parts, sin and salvation, fall and redemption. But we've not been very good at creation and we've not been very good at renewal. But the verses we just read in Colossians says that Jesus is going to reconcile all things to himself. And that we have been included in this story. So how do we live in this story? And how come it's important? Well, I think it's important because despite what we've been told, our story doesn't start with sin. Our story doesn't start in Genesis 3. Our story starts in Genesis 1. By the way, Genesis 1, as I told the musicians this morning, is a poem. It's a song. It's a rap. God speaks something happens, he observes, that's good. God speaks, something happens, he observes, that's good. You're not going to join in, so I'll stop. (laughs) There was evening. There was evening and morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day. There was evening. It's got this cadence all the way through. It's a song telling our story, but it starts in Genesis 1. And the reason that's important is because when our story starts, it's good. It's a good world. It's not a broken world. And we think about humanity and we go back to everything being broken. But that's not where our story starts. The first nine minutes of the human movie tells us God created us good. And God created a good world. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, over seven days, God says it was good. It was good. It was very good. And let me tell you why that's important. Because we need more than an explanation for just sin and salvation. But we need an explanation for beauty, for meaning, for art, for philosophy, for culture, for business, for work, for ethics. We need a meaning for the whole of life. We need a meaning when you take your three-year-old grandchild to the lake and you're holding his hand on a sunny day and this is what you think. This is perfect have you ever been there maybe you've not got a three-year-old grandchild but have you ever been there maybe with your own children and you've thought this is perfect it's because our story starts in Genesis 1 and not in Genesis 3 we need meaning for art philosophy culture business work you see we're not just created as spiritual beings but as human beings in God's world have you heard the quote? We're not human beings having a temporary spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human be- experience. Have you heard that? Scrap it. Because it's bad. It's really bad. Because we are human beings. And to be human is, to be, is good. When God created us human beings, he created us good. But we all know that something went wrong. But understanding the start of our story is so... Important because the work of Jesus is to take us back to that place of good. We're joining God in the renewal of all things. And so, creation is the first part of our story. The Bible starts on earth and the Bible ends on earth. Sorry if that's a disappointment. Our story begins on the earth, our story finishes on the earth. The human story starts on earth and it ends here too. It doesn't end with us escaping to some invisible realm, but it ends with us on a renewed earth, fulfilling the goodness and being the image of God into the universe. I became a Christian at 13 and as a teenager in my church, we used to sing songs that had these lines. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land where we'll never grow old. Can anybody remember that? <laughs> no, I'm old, aren't I? You know? But our whole focus was heaven when, when we die. We used to sing a, a song and it went like this. Uh, not in terms of me going to sing it, because like Christy, I would empty the room very quickly. It go, went like this. I'll fly away, old oh glory. I'll fly away. S- our whole focus was the fact that we will fly away, we'll escape to this eternal realm called heaven. But I've got news for you, you'll be back. (laughs) In fact, I've told my family I'm absolutely serious about this, that I'd like them to, on my grave or whatever they do with me, I don't really care, but I'd like them to put a tombstone and I want them to put these words, I'll be back. (laughs) It's not because I like Schwarzenegger, but because I I believe it. I believe that our story ends here. In Revelation 21 and 22, the kingdom of heaven is a beautiful garden city that's coming back to earth. Heaven and earth that were one together in Genesis chapter 1 and got separated by sin become one again at the end of the story. And I saw, John says, a new Jerusalem. Listen to these words. Coming down out of heaven. Jesus is taking it all back. And he's begun already. And that's what you and I are a part of. And so we're here right now and we know something is broken. But Jesus has come and brought redemption. And so we're working with him. When we get to Genesis chapter 2, and at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, it's where God has finished. His work of creation, it says this in verses 2 and 3, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from his work. That picture is of a president coming into office or a king coming and taking up residence in his temple. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work. He rested from all the work he had been doing. So in my Bible, in the, corner of my, in the margin of my Bible, I've got a little note and it says this. Adam, I'm done. Over to you. Adam, I'm resting. Now over to you. Because you and I were created in God's image. And therefore we were given this mandate to take what God had given us. All the stuff that God had given us in this world and do something with it. Create something with it that would reflect his glory. That's why you're alive. So we were always meant to wear clothes. Sorry to disappoint some of you. Heaven will not be all of us running around naked. We were always meant to take the stuff that God gave us, the stuff he put in the earth, and we were meant to take it and use the creativity he gave us to do something with it. We were always meant to wear clothes. We were always meant to have shoes. Sim and I have almost got identical shoes this morning, but we were always meant to have shoes. We were always meant to ride Harley Davidsons, <laughs> to drive Ferraris. Thanks for your enthusiasm. We were always meant to take the stuff that God put in the earth and do something with it. We were always meant to build hotels and get rid of those tents and camping and all of that stuff that's from the devil and came in in Genesis 3. We were always meant to make progress. If you see a picture of any city in the world, there'll be something missing. There'll be something missing. And do you know what will be missing off that picture? Two things. Skyscrapers, not skyscrapers, sorry, cranes, (laughs) and roadworks. They Photoshop them out. But you know, you can't go to one city in the world, whichever city it is, and not see roadworks and cranes. Do you know why? Because we're wired for progress. We're wired to take the things that God has given us and do something with it. We can't help but want to create. We can't help, but want to do something. So we've got this man, mandate, this job description. Before sin enters the world, when everything is good, we've got this mandate in Genesis 1, to 28, where God says, have dominion, rule, be stewards of this good creation, serve, participate with God in bringing order out of chaos. Let me read a quote to you by someone called Andy Crouch. It says this, man is called to work the earth in order to uncover the rich potentiality hidden, as it were, beneath the surface. On the most basic agricultural level, man cuts into the earth and sows seed which grows into plants, which when carefully tended yield fruit in the appointed season. Dig deeper and the earth will yield more riches, Precious stones and gold, one which can be melted to make tools and basic raw chemical elements which can be synthesized into pigments and dyes for artwork, fertilizers, to increase crop yields or rocket fuel to explore God's vast universe. We may end up on Mars, who knows? Woods can be fashioned into flutes for the praise of God's glory. Timbers for building. Stones can be dressed and fitted into walls, etc. We were always meant to take what God had given us and do something in this world. You were always meant to join God in the renewal of all things. And take what God has given you and bend it back towards God. Before sin, that's what we were called to do. To take the raw elements and to fashion them into something that gave glory to God. What is music? Music is taking the raw element of sound and through artistry and creativity, putting it in an order, creating beauty so the human heart can thrive. What is a story? A story takes the raw elements of human existence, joy, pain, brokenness, restoration, loss, rescue And it puts those elements in an order so that we can make sense of confusion. The confusion we feel and we can discover meaning and purpose. God has shared his creative power with you and with me. So that we can help each other flourish and thrive. We know that creation isn't all of our story. Because as humanity, we do get to Genesis 3 pretty quickly, and we fall, and sin enters the story. And I think we get this because Satan has been cast out, and so there is true evil in the world. There are things that are actually evil in our world. And Satan starts his work by getting back at that which is most precious to God. And his intent is to destroy our culture-making ability. Satan's purpose is to stop you and I taking what God has given us and offering it back in glory to God. That's his purpose. His purpose is to bend all of life and all of culture away from the glory of God and away from human thriving and towards destruction and towards himself. And so he gets Adam and Eve to doubt. Adam has everything he could possibly want. And the enemy comes along and says, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. And so sin enters. And immediately we find something lacking. We lose our authority. And we're no longer in a neutral world. We're no longer in a world where we can use our gifts and abilities just to take. But we're now in contested space. Where there's an enemy who's contesting for all the ground that we are believing God wants to give us. The Bible says this, the world is under the power of the evil one when it's meant to be under our dominion. Adam and Eve, when they fall, are not cursed, by the way. It's the earth that's cursed. So we see that God still loves us and God still believes in us and God sends his son that we can go about in our primal call but now it's in contested space. So instead of having just good stories we have ugly stories. Instead of only beauty we have brokenness. Instead of only love we have hate. Instead of the creation project we become consumed with project self. Sin and death is the futility of our broken world in contested space. And this explains the human condition. This explains why life is that it is. Some years ago I went to a conference in Spain. Everybody has to go to a conference in Spain on new atheism. I know I should get out more. But it was a conference on new atheism. And one of the speakers was Alistair McGrath. And Alistair McGrath is probably one of the smartest minds I've ever met. And somebody asked him this question. They said, how come somebody with such intelligence like you has become a Christian? And he said this. He said, I became a Christian. Because it's the most rational explanation for the human condition. In fact, he said it's the only explanation for the human condition. That things were created good, but sin entered and brokenness entered. Creation, fall, redemption. <clears throat> In the midst of this chaos, God gives a promise to Eve. He doesn't turn his back But he turns to Eve and he says, your son will crush the serpent's head. I like that promise, don't you? Although this is a substitutionary promise, it's a promise of victory. It's the first mention of the gospel, crushing the head of the enemy and bringing redemption. And so it starts out with this guy called Abraham and through a nation and people who are longing for the Messiah suddenly The son of God comes, Jesus. And Jesus appears and he gets everything right that Adam got wrong. Adam is tempted and falls. Jesus is tempted and stands. Adam lives selfishly. Jesus lives for others. Adam submits in a garden. Jesus conquers in a garden. Adam listens to the serpent. Jesus listens to the father. Adam questions God. Jesus submits to God. Adam takes creation away from God. Jesus leads creation back to God. He lives a rightly ordered life. And he shows us (coughs) how to live in the new creation. And he tells us, now go and make disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now you go and make disciples. I wonder if somebody could get the flip chart for me because I just want to do a quick illustration about the gospel. You see, discipleship is not just about being forgiven from our sins. Hello. Being a disciple of Jesus is not just about being forgiven. It's about joining God in his work. I can do it down there. I can do it down there. I can come down. Just put it there. So maybe you've seen this illustration. Thank you, sir. Shall we move it this way a little bit? No, I'm joking. It's all right. I'm just playing. Maybe you've... (laughs) You've got trouble here, Sim. You know what I said to you earlier about how this church is going places? This church is going nowhere. (laughs) I'm joking. Maybe you've seen this. I'm sure you've seen this. God? Yeah? Uh, Me? You? Okay. And we try our attempts to get back to God, yeah? And they all fail. And they all fail. And there's this gap, and this gap is called sin. Have you seen this? But Jesus comes, and he's the bridge to life. Have you seen it? Four of us have seen it. And we say that's the gospel, but that isn't the gospel. That's only part of the gospel. Because that's not all... (laughs) So the gospel's a lot smaller drawing. (laughs) See, I'm a professional. I'm here all week. Okay. (laughs) The gospel is a much smaller drawing. The the gospel is God reconciles us to four relationships. Four relationships. That's just one. Jesus reconciles us to God. He's the bridge to God. He reconciles us to others. Do you know we've lost the importance of that? But Jesus says, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, your father will not forgive you. Yeah. He reconciled. This is his work in us. And it doesn't happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen momentarily. But the gospel, the good news, is that that relationship gets fixed. Do you know why? Because Jesus is taking us right back to Genesis chapter 1 where things are good. He reconciles us to ourself. He restores our relationship with ourselves. I like to say it this way. You're in a relationship with yourself. You might as well make it a good one. There's enough bad relationships in the world. You might as well have a good relationship with yourself. Anybody with me? And maybe, maybe there's people here today and you've had a terrible relationship with yourself. It's time to have a good relationship with yourself. It's time to forgive yourself. It's time to believe in yourself. It's time to realize you've got a purpose and a mandate from God, that your life has meaning and you matter. You matter more than you could ever think. And you will only realize how much you matter when you have a good relationship with yourself. I used to hate myself, but now I think I'm all right. (laughs) But you know, there's a fourth relationship in this small illustration. And that's relationship with the world. You know, I came from a church where they said, the only thing that matters is getting people saved. Well, that's just that. But if that's real, then that is going to affect all the other relationships in our life. Sir, would you do me a favor, please? Please, would you do this? And would you do it the way I asked? Could you just move that back for me? That would be wonderful. <laughs> Why don't you give this man a round of applause? Thank you so much for your help. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up in a, in a second. Let me just talk about renewal. So how do we do this? How do we do it? Let me tell you four ways we've tried. Four ways we've tried. We've thought our job in bringing God's kingdom into the world. We've kind of got that, but we've tried four ways. The first is let's condemn the world. Let's tell the world how bad it is. Um, How many know that hasn't worked for us? (laughs) Condemn the world. So again, if I go back into my teenage years as a Christian, it was basically the message was disengage from the world. Condemn it. Stop doing this. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't swear. Don't smoke. Because the world is evil and you do any of those things and you'll be sent straight to hell. Anybody else were in a church like that? Just me. You know. And our testimony was very much, you need to change. You know, you are sinful. So we condemned the world. But then you look at Jesus. And Jesus condemned the religious. But he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He was called a drunkard. I know, I know, it's news, isn't it? But it's right there. He was called a drunkard and a glutton. Now, was he a drunkard and a glutton? Probably not. But he lived with drunkards and gluttons sufficiently that he would be called one. So we've tried to condemn the world. He didn't condemn. Then we've tried to critique our world. Let's get clever about it. And let's try and critique our world. And so years ago it was like, go to a movie and think what that says about the God. The matrix, Neo, respell Neo, it's the one. <laughs> Christy's laughing, but it's true, it happened. And let's critique our culture. But the problem is we don't think that deeply to critique culture. We're just, we're too busy living life, aren't we? We just want to enjoy a movie. We want to get immersed in the story. We want to be halfway through the movie and going, kill them. Kill the other five. That's what we want. We don't want to critique the movie. You know, we don't want a Bible study based on Die Hard afterwards. <laughs> like, We want a pizza. We don't want a Bible study. We want a pizza. So we try to create, critique our culture. We realize that's not working. So the third thing we try to do is copy our culture. Let's just copy it. The world, they've got rock music. So let's make Christian rock music. Now here's, somebody tell me what the problem with that is. Our rock music was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Theirs was great and we thought, let's copy it. Let's have our own. Let's create our own Christian bubble where now we have our own rock music. Let's copy it. (sighs) So copying the culture didn't work for us. So we thought, forget all of that. Let's just consume it. Let's just be like the world. Let's just consume because we can't think of another way. Let's just consume. Let's not have any standards. Let's just consume everything that's going around. But there's a better way. And it's the way that we were created by God. And that's this. We were created to create. We were imagined to imagine. We are the only species on this planet that can imagine a different tomorrow and then work from today to make that happen. Like a baboon. A baboon is not getting up today and saying, let's have a better Sunday than we've ever had. A baboon is just going to baboon all day long. True? A giraffe. A giraffe is not getting up today and saying, Do you know what? I'm sick of eating from up here. I'm going to eat from down. A giraffe is just going to giraffe all day. A beaver. What do beavers do? They beave. Who said beave? They beave. Maybe American beavers beave. But British beavers, right, build dams. Yeah? All right. I know we're more intelligent, aren't we, than our cousins across the pond. Even our beavers tell us that we're more intelligent. (laughs) Sorry about that. Oh, she just fell into that hole and I just pushed her in further. Um, But no beavers getting up today and going, boys, no more dams, bridges tomorrow. Because a beaver is just going to beaver. But you are so incredible that you can imagine a different tomorrow and you can begin today to create it. That's how incredible you are. And you have been brought back into relationship with God, with yourself and others and the world. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can do that. In every sphere and area of life, You can imagine a better relationship. You can imagine a better um, um, environment in which you work. You can imagine something different, something better. You're the only species. We are the only species on the planet that can do that. We could even imagine a better church. I know it's hard in this church, but let's just talk about my church. I could (laughs) imagine a better church, and I can begin with God's help from tomorrow to create that church you were created to create, you were imagined to imagine one story and then I'm done. Years ago, Jeannie and I had some people in our church, super poor people, who lived fairly close to us and um, somehow um, they liked us and um, they um, would often be in need and through the winter, their electricity, they had three children and their electricity would go off and we never told anybody this, but we said to them, you know, when you've not got any electricity, call us. And uh, we would buy electricity for them, and we never, we never told anybody. In fact, I never told anybody until two years ago, and this is like 20-odd years ago. And I only told people because of this, sto- this story happened. And uh, so we would go, and they had a prepaid uh, thing, you know, where you put money on a card. You'd take it to a shop and you'd put money on a card. And so they would run out of electricity. We'd either give them the money or we'd go with them. And we'd put 20 pounds or whatever it was on the card so that they had some electricity in the winter for the kids. Stuff like that. And then one day I realized they were paying more for their electricity than we were. We paid by direct debit. And the energy company, because we paid that way, gave us a lower rate. But the people who paid the highest rate were the poor for their electricity. So I remember just going home one day and thinking, I can't believe that's true. And so I prayed about it. I prayed, God, you've got to do something about it. I don't, I don't know how that gets fixed, but that's just not right. It's just not just. And I had no idea what to do about it. So I just prayed and I left it with God. 20 years later, a guy in our church works for the energy company and uh, he doesn't know that story but he's working for the energy company and one day his boss comes in and his boss says one of the Miliband brothers I can't remember if it was dead or uh, David or Ed do you see what I did there I put David and Ed together the dead Miliband brothers oh amazing I can't remember if it was Ed or David He's at work, and his boss calls him in. The CEO. He worked for Eon. He still works for Eon, and and it's globally. And and one of those brothers had said, "The energy companies are evil. They just they're just like milking it." I think energy prices had just gone up. And his boss says to the whole room, "He says we've got to change that story. Has anybody got any ideas?" And so they go away, and the guy in our church, Mark, he then goes to his CEO. He said, I've got an idea how we can change the story. And so the boss says, okay, what's the story? He says, how about we equalize the rate of electricity? And we don't bring the cheap rate up. We take the expensive rate down, the rate that the poorest are paying they do the sums and his boss says that's going to cost us 80 80 million but we'll do it so eon take their electricity prices down cost them 80 million the poorest who are on electricity with eon start to pay less for their gas the government hear about it the guy in our church has to go and see the prime minister he says, "This is so, the prime minister says, this is so incredible. Says to the energy secretary, I want you to make a law that all energy companies have to do exactly the same. Today, there are millions of people across Europe paying less for their electricity. Because somebody realized we're imagined to imagine. We're created to create. We're here to make each other thrive and flourish. You might not be able to equalise energy payments, but there's something you can do to make your world, your life, more kingdom-focused, more bent towards the glory of God. And I'm excited to see what you will do with the future. The best is yet to come. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.